Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Saving money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Hello, I'm Peter King, and welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, a different show with one guest, retired NFL General Manager Ernie Accorsi. On the eve of the NFL's 83rd draft, which is full of perplexing quarterbacks, by the way, I'm going to show you how two drafts rich in quarterbacks changed the course of pro football history with a man who was in a box seat for both. He was in charge of a key team in each of the 1983 and 2004 drafts, two of the most famous quarterback drafts of all time. And we'll discuss how this draft, with four quarterbacks likely to go near the very top, could be as impactful as either of those drafts. And now my conversation with Ernie Accorsi. This is the MMQB Podcast. In 83, Accorsi was a rookie general manager with the Baltimore Colts. And in 2004, he was a veteran GM with the New York Giants. And in both drafts, he was a centerpiece in events that forever altered the shape of the NFL. Let's start in 1983. Would the Baltimore Colts have moved to Indianapolis a year after the 83 draft if, of course, he wasn't overruled by a bombastic owner, Robert Ursay, who traded John Elway to Denver without, of course, knowledge or approval? Would there even be a franchise in Indianapolis today? If Elway had stayed in Baltimore, which team exactly would have drafted Peyton Manning 15 years later? And would the Baltimore Ravens ever have been invented? In 2004, on a veritable dare, of course he drafted Phillip Rivers, even though that was the third quarterback on his draft board. The Giants didn't want Rivers. They wanted Eli Manning 1, Ben Roethlisberger 2. And a little truth in journalism here. I actually played a part in why of course he drafted Rivers and why he thought he could turn Rivers into Manning. I still get a little conflicted when I think of that, but it's the truth. And you'll find out about it here. John Elway won two Super Bowls in Denver. Eli Manning has won two in New York. Ben Roethlisberger has won two in Pittsburgh. So three franchises definitely lived happily ever after, after those big quarterback drafts. How will the NFL be changed when the first round plays out next week, let's let history be our guide. Going back to Corsi's recollection of the 1983 draft. He had the biggest pick then, with the biggest quarterback crop to enter the league in years. And with the Colts desperate 
for a quarterback of the future. A surefire star, John Elway, was ready to be harvested. Only he didn't want to be harvested by the Baltimore Colts. First of all, I was a rookie general manager. All of a sudden, I have the first pick in the draft. Right out of the box, I face this situation where he proclaims I'm not playing in Baltimore. Now, I didn't know the whole story then. I have subsequently found out the whole story because Jim Fossil was his offensive coordinator and I think was in his wedding. I think they were very close. Told me this much later. The issue was between John Elway's father and Frank Cush. I didn't know that. I, Frank Cush was the coach Frank of the Cush Colts. Frank was the head coach of the Who Colts. was a very autocratic, right. very, very tough uh, cuff, uh, head coach. Right, and there must have been an issue at some point recruiting. I don't know what it was. But I hadn't hired Frank Cush. If I would have known that, God rest Frank Cush's soul, <laughs> I would have made a decision in favor of John Elway. I thought it was going to ruin my career because if I, I said, if I blow this, uh, that's what I'm going to be known for. I'll never get another chance. But I felt that, that look, I had grown up with that franchise. that had always been my favorite team. I was not going to sell them short. He was the best player, still the best quarterback prospect I've ever seen. I'm picking him and let the chips fall where they may. I also had the benefit, and not in any way to, to demean him as a baseball player, I had gotten his official scattering report from the Yankees, and I got that through Hank Peters, who was the general manager of the Orioles. And he had been with the St. Louis Browns when Bob Neiman was a player with the St. Louis Browns. Bob Neiman was the scout in charge of Elway. Okay. He, he wasn't a prospect. And, and my feeling was, look, July 15th, He's going to be hitting 255 in Greensboro riding a bus. Probably not an air-conditioned bus. He's coming <laughs> to camp, okay? And if not, you know, I could have an auction in January or February. But I'm picking them. I'm not giving them away. And I had set a price that was three number ones, two number twos. I knew no one could pay it. One of the number ones had to be high. And this sounds like revisionist history, but I was picking Marino. And the reason I was so strong on Marino was that our coaching staff had had him in the Senior Bowl. So... That was my plan. If somebody gives me five picks, one of them high, and I thought I was going to have to get in the top ten to pick Marino, I'm going to pick Marino. But, yeah, I, it was, you know, and then I find out watching the NBA playoffs a week after the draft that the owner had traded him. I didn't even know that he had traded him. Wow. So the owner traded him to Denver right. for a package that you would have thought was too light. Uh, Chris Hinton, who was a good player. Yeah. And a number one. And two preseason games. Now, that sounds like a joke, but we weren't drawing well in preseason. We weren't on the package for a long time. In fact, we played most of our preseason games away. And Denver promised him two preseason games with a minimum guarantee, I think, of $500,000 gate. He, he made the deal. I Certainly, I would have never. I would have laughed at that deal. But the reason that, that he did that without telling me was when – I argued even the morning of the draft, he was trying to give him away. And the mistake I made is he said to me, what is this going to cost us if he does play? I said, $5 million for five years. Now, that's a joke now. Right. But no one, no one made anywhere near $1 million a year. And I, I should have never said that to him. Because when I was standing there with him, he, he, he was trying to give him away. I, and I said, Bob, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not that big in stature that's going to make a difference. If you trade him this morning, I'm resigning. There are going to be two press conferences, one for your trade and one for my resignation, because I'm not going to be a part of this. 
So he said, go, go do what you want to do. And I remember it was dark because the USFL was in existence, and we started drafting at like 6.30 in the morning. It was very, very early. So I went down, picked him, and I made a point to pick him one second after we were eligible. That's how, I guess, petulant I was as a young kid. When I came back, my secretary put her hand up, and I could hear Ursay, the owner, and his attorney, Mike Chernoff, talking about what I had just done. And I heard Ursay say, don't worry about it. Once we leave here today, we'll go do what we want to do. We'll, we'll trade him. So I knew it was probably inevitable, but I was kept out of the discussions. Ernie, what would have happened? How would history have been changed if the Baltimore Colts had not traded John Elway? Do you believe he would have eventually played for the Colts? I, I think he would have, and I had some reasons to believe that, but nothing with any substantiation that I could really rely on. But, um, I, I mean, obviously we probably would have made a coaching change. I would have I had just taken over as general manager. Who do you think he would have hired as coach? Gee, I don't remember who I might have hired yeah. at that time. But, but I, I know this, that had, and I really believe this, and I've said this before, if he plays in Baltimore, the team never moves. Yeah. Because we're going to sell 25,000. Our season tickets have gone from a locked-in sellout to a dwindled down to about 30. We would have sold 20,000 season tickets immediately if he would have played. And had it not been all this unusual nature to this deal. Um, so you think that the moving vans would not have come in March 1984, moving the Baltimore Colts to Indianapolis. Had you picked John Elway and Elway played for the Colts. I, I really believe that. And ironically, you put together this all-time draft uh, recently for Sports Illustrated, and I picked Elway. And, I know, and yeah. I, and I, I sent him an, an email. I said, I've picked you again. He said, I like your team. I like the coach. It was Vince Lombardi. He said, we'll win championships. <laughs> Imagine how much history would have been changed. That's maybe, amazing. maybe there's never – a franchise in Indianapolis. Now, maybe they would have gotten the next team that wanted to move. Right. You never know. Maybe uh, maybe the Cardinals, instead of moving from St. Louis to Phoenix, I think in 1988, would have gone to Indianapolis. Right. I mean, you never know. But it's amazing to think that Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts may never have existed. It, it is. <laughs> and I'll tell you, Peter, I really believe that I was 42 years old, 41 um, rookie general manager, and I'll tell you some, something else that happened to me. Um, I thought my career was in shambles. I thought, you know, I'm not going to recover from this. But what happened, Ursay was, was known for this. He would go to a league meeting. There would be executive session when it was just owners, not even attorneys. There were just 28 owners in there or 30, depending on how many teams we had. And Ursay said, I'm leaving. i got to get back to Chicago. You go in. Now, I'm in this room right before the draft in March of 83, with 20, 27 other owners, I don't belong in there. They, they know I don't belong in there. And I'm getting killed from abuse. Like, you've got to trade this guy. Because they were concerned with Steinbrenner would give him the moon to play baseball and would embarrass the National Football League. I mean, I was getting – I had no support from anybody. And, I mean, the league office, nobody. I was in it alone, but I just dug my heels in. But I'll never forget Al Davis – Coming around, as he did often in those meeting rooms, he would ro roam around the back, and I'm sitting in the back. I am just been p 
pilfered with all kinds of abuse. And he looks at me and says, don't let them push you around, kid. Of course, <laughs> perfect for him, right? <laughs> but I wasn't going to give in. I just wasn't going to give in. I thought, look, the franchise is good enough for Johnny Unitas. It's good enough for John Elway. The next quarterback story is more complicated, with three quarterbacks at the top of the class in 2004. I'll be back with a Corsi to tell the story of Rivers, Roethlisberger, and Manning after this. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. There's a new boss in town at Buffalo Wild Wings, and he deals in bacon. It's the Bacon Boss Burger, featuring bacon three different ways and a blanket of white cheese sauce. He's joined by the other new favorites, like the smothered cheesesteak quesadilla, sweet chili shrimp, and the Alaska Cod Classic. All pair perfectly with a Sam 76, a fruity ale with the crisp finish of a lager. Hurry in today and try them all before they're gone at Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Available for a limited time while supplies last. And please, drink responsibly. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. (sighs) Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango, it's your ticket to the movies. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Now back for more with Ernie Accorsi. This was the top of the draft in the first round of 2004. One San Diego, two Oakland, three Arizona, four the New York Giants, five Washington, six Detroit, seven Cleveland. Pittsburgh picked 11th. Now, four of those teams needed a quarterback. San Diego, Oakland, New York, and Pittsburgh. Of course, he loved one quarterback, Eli Manning. He liked another quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. He thought he'd have a chance to get Manning because Eli's dad, Archie Manning, had told the Chargers that Eli didn't want to play there. That played a role in what eventually happened. Also, Of course, he had an offer on the table from Cleveland, picking seventh overall for the Browns' first and second round picks in exchange for the Giants' pick at four. 
The Browns wanted Miami tight end Kellen Winslow. And at seven, of course, he probably would have been able to get Roethlisberger. So that sets the stage. One more thing. The Giants had Kerry Collins, who would help them reach the Super Bowl four years earlier. But most in the organization felt he was a short-term fix. Most, that is, except for the owner, Wellington Mara. I got a call from Wellington, which I rarely got a call on a cell phone, on the Sunday before the draft, the week before the draft. And he, he was not happy with the fact that I wanted to pick a quarterback. And, you know, I called John and, and I said, John, it, obviously if he doesn't want to pick a quarterback, we're not picking a quarterback. And John said, let me take care of this. So John believed in, in, that we did need to, if we how, had a how, how did How did it work contractually, Ernie? Could <laughs> you pick who you wanted? Or uh, Wellington, did at the time, did Wellington have the final say well, in the draft? Well, first of all, he, he, the ownership had the final say. However, with the respect I had for him, it wouldn't have made any difference if I did have the, the power right. to do it. I wouldn't have done it. It's yeah. his team. It's his franchise. And the quarterback... It is, you know, the stanchion of the franchise. So I was worried, number one, with that. And at that time, now, I figured it's going to be Roethlisberger. Um, but just to give you a quick summary, I had seen every senior quarterback that we would even talk about in person play, including Schaub at Virginia. I also had been to each one's pro day, and it's, there was an entourage. Wasn't of it always also J.P. Losman? Yes, but yeah. J.P. Losman, I saw him. Play Tulane played at Navy. I went to that game. But okay. I also, at Eli's pro day, Losman was there. Okay. And it was interesting. He didn't call in advance. He just showed up. Now, he was at Tulane, so he could do that. Because the he, pro day was in New Orleans. It was in New Orleans at the Saints facility. Why was his pro day at New or- in New Orleans instead of at Ole Miss? You can, you can have a pro day at your hometown or okay. your college campus. All right. And I think he wanted to do it indoors. I don't think that you know, Ole Miss had an indoor facility at that time. But I'm standing there, and I see Losman. I didn't know he was going to be there. And um, Tom Condon came up to me. Peyton Manning was there, and Archie was there. Tom Condon, the agent the for agent Eli, for Eli and, and, Peyton. and Peyton. Yeah. Condon said, he said, uh, Peyton's really upset at this, that, that Losman just walked in here. I said, well, how's Eli feel? He said, Eli doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of tells you the difference between the two. Yeah. But, but Archie Manning. The father was wouldn't wouldn't watch. He was driving his car around the parking lot of the facility, and Eli was putting on a great show. And uh, Condon said, "I said, where's Archie?" He says, "He's, he's too nervous to watch." I said, "Tell him to come in. I think it's going to be okay." But I remember Coughlin was charting the practice, walking down the line <laughs> of scrimmage, charting each pattern, uh, timing his takeaways, and I went up to him and I said, "Tom." We're picking him if we can. Okay, it's all, that's all I know. So I left there kind of brokenhearted, Peter, because I didn't think I was going to be, be able to make the trade. And I was so certain in my mind that, that he was the guy we wanted. But I had felt like I had prepared completely for it, and we pretty much had decided we had Eli rated number one, probably the edge over Roethlisberger by level of comp. One guy played in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah. The other guy played in the Mid-America Conference. And but then you saw Ben Roethlisberger in his bowl game. Right. First of all, I saw Rivers play the first game he ever played as a freshman at Clemson, true freshman. I didn't go there to see him. He was a freshman. But I saw his last game at the University of Maryland uh, at Raleigh. So I'd seen his, 
the two bookends of his career. Uh, but at, at the bowl game, which was in Mobile, Alabama, it was just raw, bitterly cold. They played Louisville. They Miami, played Louisville. Ohio, yeah. They wouldn't put me in the press box. I sat outside. And it was a night game. And it was so cold. He threw four touchdown passes in the first quarter. And I emailed okay. John Mara and said, I'm freezing to death. He said, we'll leave because we're picking him. <laughs> so we all felt pretty strongly about him. And I thought that's where we were going to go. Uh, Did you think that's the way you were going to go because you had the fourth pick in the draft and Eli Manning was not going to be there by the time you picked? Yeah, I did not think I was going to be able to make the trade. I wa- it's interesting as it ties into the Elway situation in 1983. At the league meetings in March, I had never met A.J. Smith, who was the general manager of the San Diego Chargers. It had already surfaced that, you know, I guess Condon was quoted as saying, Eli doesn't want to play in San Diego. I walked up to him, introduced myself, and I said, look, I've been through what you face. I picked the guy anyway. If you decide you're going to pick Eli Manning and and see it through, more power to you. I support you completely. If you decide to trade him, I'm interested. That's as far as I got with it. And he said— That was probably about a month before the draft. That was probably about a month, yes. Maybe maybe five, six weeks. And he said, okay, we'll talk. Well, we talked— very few times. I didn't know him. It wasn't like I was going to make this deal with Kevin Colbert, who I've known all my life. Um, I, I didn't have much optimism. Here's where, here's where I want to start this story. You did get an offer, or there was an offer on the table from A.J. Smith, right. right? And the real detour of that offer what totally turned you off was the fact it included a young pass rusher who had accomplished nothing yet, OCU Minora. What happened, and why did you not want to do that? We, we had discussed this, obviously, with ownership and, and the two top personnel people that I had, Dave Gettleman and Jerry Reese. We were prepared to pick, to, to trade the next year's one. That was the going rate. That's what Buffalo gave for Losman. I mean, that's what people gave. And, and for a swap like that. But my feeling was that the most important player on the team is the quarterback. Right behind him are the pass rushers. Uh, you know, I thought we had Strahan. We, hadn't, we didn't have Tuck yet. We didn't have Kiwanuka yet. Um, and I had seen what Chad Bratsky got 19 sacks one year because Strahan was on the other side. And we loved the, the natural ability that O.C. had I wasn't going to give him up. And that was the one mandatory ingredient of this draft from AJ. And so for any trade that he would have done before draft day, the only thing he wanted, I mean, he wanted picks, but he right. also wanted OCU Manure. He wanted OCU Manure. And I said, yeah, we didn't know each other, so he could have thought that maybe I was just negotiating or bluffing. I said, that's a deal breaker, AJ. So on Monday or Tuesday of that week, he said, we'll talk Friday. He said, I'll call you Friday. I wasn't going to call him because I knew if I was going to chase him, I had no chance. And um, I, I never heard from him Friday. And that's also the day Cleveland called. And I was tempted by that because, you know, we had heard that Roethlisberger might slip. But what stopped me very late in that negotiations was, or consideration was what if I go to seven and lose him now? And I'm not going to forgive myself. I mean, there were other good players there, but you know how I felt about a quarterback. Um, 
So I, I backed out at the last second. This is where I come in. On Friday, the day before the draft, I was speaking to someone close to A.J. Smith, the Chargers GM. I said, hey, what do you think happens tomorrow? And this person said, I think we pick Manning. And then I think A.J. calls a Corsi and tries to get a deal done with the Giants to trade Manning so we can have Rivers. Now, I trusted this person quite a bit. It's always tough in the information business because intel is a commodity. I had gotten to the point covering the NFL that if I could pass on something of value without compromising a source or betraying a trust, and if that would help me down the line with intel from another team, in this case the Giants, I'd do it. So on Friday night, I called a Corsi and told him what I thought was going to happen. Peter, that mattered a lot because it was me, and I'll tell you why, by, by my nature. All my career, and maybe this hurt me along the way, I always picked quickly. Because if I, had a con- if I didn't have a conviction and I was trying to get out of there and trade it, that was one thing, which didn't happen very often. But I usually picked right away. I wanted to be decisive, let's get the guy. And I might have done it because I will tell you that not hearing from him on Friday, not hearing from him on Saturday morning, I had pretty much given up hope that we were going to be be able to make this trade but that call from you pause gave me pause and 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 i was sitting there almost i'm telling you almost to the second at the seven minute mark of a 15 minute interval that you had my secretary janice gavazzi said aj's on the phone and i picked it up my room was filled i had wellington mara bob tish john mara Chris Mara. Uh, but at the Jerry time, Reese. let's let's just go back and just remember one thing. Number one, San Diego picked Eli Manning. Right. Number one, and he had a very awkward press conference where he put on a Charger hat. Right. And and he had a conversation with Marty Schottenheimer. Who said, "Well, let's see what happens." <laughs> and then uh, Oakland picks Robert Gallery, the tackle from Iowa. Arizona picks Larry Fitzgerald, and now it's 12.46 p.m., and the New York Giants are on the clock with their first pick in the 2004 NFL draft. So I wait from the information you gave me. I wait, and I get a call halfway through the period that we had to select. It's a 15-minute period. And A.J. said, I'll never forget, do you want Eli? I said, yeah, A.J., I want Eli. I he said, well, if you, you got him, but I got to have you in a manure. I said, look, I told you six weeks ago, uh, I'm not trading you in a manure. So if that's, that's a deal breaker. He said, well, will you give me next year's number one among other picks? I said, yes, I will. He said, okay, we have a trade. Now, we both called Joel. This would have taken how long, would you say? The conversation only took about a minute. Right. I mean, we're on the clock now. Yeah. And if we don't make this deal and get it consummated, somebody else can can pick Roethlisberger, right? Yep. You know, which is the next team picking, which you said was Detroit or Washington. It was Washington. Yeah, okay. yeah Washington, yeah. So uh, we both called Joel. Joel's got two phones, one on each ear. And I said, Joel, we're going to have to send Joel Bussert, who's the director of player personnel, vice president of player personnel of the NFL, who's impeccable in his work. But you, Joel and I are, are close friends, but it didn't matter. Right. If, if these two conversations didn't agree completely word for word, there was no trade. 
He said, no, I'll take the trade. You're going to have to send it in by computer. I'll take the trade over the phone as long as you two agree exactly. State your trade. I did. AJ stated the trade. He did. He made it official. If AJ would have said, you know, I'm not going to make this deal. After I picked Rivers, I have Rivers. I could not pick Rivers. You can't select a player for another team. So I, could, I couldn't have gone to the league and said, look, we had made an agreement. It's the only reason I picked Rivers. And they wouldn't have backed me on that. It's against the rules. So, so at this time, the time is running out. Yeah, in the, the clock is ticking. Yeah. So do you remember how much time was left on the clock when you said— When Joel finally made the pick? I, when Joel finally approved it? Yeah. No more than two or three minutes. Because yeah. it did take—we had to make the phone call. We each had to recite it. I, we were close enough to what we were saying. He accepted it. I mean, he did a great job on this. If he would have stammered or delayed or done anything whatsoever to slow it down, we could have. I mean, you know how they are. You get, well, we did this, too. You'd write a player's name on the card, and you got the guy ready to just hand it to the commissioner yeah. or to whomever you know, is the recipient up at the front desk. So we could have lost him. Um, but as it was, you had to take Philip Rivers. I had to take Philip Rivers, and I held my breath. It's the MMQB Podcast. Support for the MMQB with Peter King comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and your family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com king. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Now back for more with Ernie Accorsi. Have you ever thought what would have happened if you take Cleveland's offer, move down to number seven, take Roethlisberger, and you've got an extra two, and then you've still got your one next year? Have you ever thought what might have happened if you did that, you had Roethlisberger and, say, two or three more pretty good prospects? Right. I I never really did uh, because I always was, I mean, in retrospect, I've been very pleased with what Eli did for us. I, I have thought, though, what if I wouldn't have traded down to Cleveland, but I just would have picked Roethlisberger. Would, would, would Roethlisberger have fit with us as well as Eli did? You never know. I mean, right. As, as you look at that situation, and maybe you could form your thinking, Roethlisberger's perfect for Pittsburgh. I mean, first of all, he walked into a better team yeah. than we were in uh, 2004. Eli, would, of course, wouldn't have been um, – with Pittsburgh, he would have been with San Diego. Um, yeah, I assume that because, yeah, they, they would have had him. They wouldn't have picked Rivers. It was too late for that. 
Um, who knows? You know, and, and Pittsburgh might have picked Rivers. Right. Um, you know, finishing up with Ernie Accorsi, longtime NFL general manager. Ernie, the one other thing I wonder, late that year, uh, the New York Giants played a game in Baltimore uh, against one of the great defenses of this or any generation. And they embarrassed Eli Manning. He was 5 of 23, a zero quarterback rating, uh, just a terrible, terrible game. At that game or at any other game, did you think to yourself, I've made a horrible mistake? I, I remember that game vividly, and an interesting thing about that game is John Feinstein, the great author, many books, had, had grown up a Giants fan on Long Island, had asked us if he could spend a season with us like he did with Bobby Knight. Right. And uh, Coughlin said, I don't want any part of that. And it, so he, but Baltimore agreed. I don't think he wrote a book off of it, but he might have. He did. Okay, he did. He did okay. write a book about but that. He, that was kind of the Next set- Man Up, it was called. Right. Right. Yeah, okay. Billick, Billick cooperated with right. the book, yeah. So that game was kind of a centerpiece of, of everything, and he blistered Eli. <laughs> in that, in that, but Eli got killed. I mean, you know, we were I, – I had traded – or I had signed uh, – I had signed yeah, we, Kurt Warner. And my, my idea was that Kurt Warner plays the whole season. I had done that before with Danielson, with Kozar. I, I had always believed in that theory – but uh, Tom had sort of agreed, and then Tom decided to start him. He started him against Baltimore, Philadelphia. He had a great defense, Washington, Atlanta. They all had great defenses. He got killed. Uh, I never doubted him, but it was not only that game. It was the, inter- it was the Minnesota game. I think he threw three, three interceptions, two of them for touchdowns. Yeah. And then the Green Bay game I told you about, which was the first game I saw after I retired. I mean, he had some shaky times. Um, and I'll tell you this, I never thought, you know, I've blown this and it's a bust. There were a lot of people that did, though, because I heard about it. You answered all your mail about that, though, didn't you? Yes, I did. What would you, what would you say, handwritten notes, I believe. George Young taught me that. Yeah. So, right. so people would write, would people write and question and be critical of the Eli Manning pick? Well, it was almost unanimous. I mean, they would not only be critical, I mean, they would get personal. And I mean, some of them. So, what would you say? I always answered everyone with respect because I knew what Mr. Mary answered all his bail by by handwritten notes. And George had always done that. I mean, today I don't. You know, that would they'd all end up on Twitter. So you, I don't know what I would have done today. (laughs) But there was no email. There was email, I guess, but I wasn't involved in it. But I answered every letter. I thanked them for their support. I said, you know, there's still time. I mean, I was always, I was never vitriolic. Um, I will tell you though that there was. there was one letter I got uh, from a man who, who said, you don't understand the Giants. And I remember this so well. Um, he said, you don't understand the Giants. He said, the Giants tradition is, is, a, is a tradition of defense. Quarterbacks aren't important. You're, you've got this obsession with quarterbacks. We won here because we had great defenses. So I answered him back. I thanked him for his support. And I said, let me just explain one thing. If you took the 58 and 59 Giants and Colts, and you went player by player, position by position. Jim Parker, Roosevelt Brown. Uh, Lenny Moore, Frank Gifford. Roosevelt Greer, Art Donovan. Andy Robustelli, Gino Marquette. The teams were even. I said, the difference was the quarterback. 
That's I rest great. my case. That's a great okay. letter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I always, I, I was always kind because I knew I'm not going to get myself in trouble. By re- what good's it going to do? Yeah. These people were passionate, and and I, I'll tell you one last story about this. I was dry, I'm walking home from from a dinner one night right after the draft. It was in the spring, and right after the trade, and a guy dressed in a business suit, maybe in his mid to late 40s, spotted me and recognized me and started to berate me. I mean pretty personally and was following me and I turned around shook his hand didn't say anything to him I listened to him and he followed me for about four blocks and he was getting worse with the block and he wasn't intoxicated or anything like that and and uh, finally I turned around and said enough okay I was getting close to home I didn't want him to know where I lived after after the job he was doing on me so that was that that was 2004 2012 Bill O'Brien becomes head coach at Penn State and he does a caravan, and he's speaking at the Sheraton on 7th Avenue, and I went over to hear him. I walk out, and there's a rush for cabs. Cabs are pulling up. People are all rushing out. They're leaving at the same time. And I make one step towards a cab, and it's a tie between me and another guy. And I said, go ahead. He said, I owe you one. I'm the guy that chased you up Park Avenue. <laughs> you take the cab. <laughs> <laughs> didn't say I'm sorry no, you were no, right about Eli. Yeah, but no, no. And this is after two Super Bowls. Right? Ernie, I gotta, I, I've got to tell you about one little scene, and you, you'd appreciate it because I think this is one of the things that separates Eli Manning. It has nothing to do with his ability on the field. But then again, maybe it has everything to do with it. After the Giants beat the Patriots for the second time in the Super Bowl, in uh, February of 2012, I'm standing there in the locker room in Indianapolis, I think it was, and Justin Tuck is there, and I'm talking to him, and there is a phalanx of nine yellow-coated security people, and in the middle of that is Eli Manning, and they are rushing through the locker room, and there is, you you better get out of the way. And I remember this scene so well because like sort of getting nudged out of the way and pushed out of the way was Chris Mara, the longtime giant scout and his daughter, Rooney Mara, who at the time was about the hottest, you know, the the hottest young actress in the United States. You know, I think she had just done uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, but, and that's obviously Chris's daughter, but, and she wasn't much of a fan, but she was at the game, you know, and what I'll never forget is that Eli had this look on this face that I would best describe as disinterested, you know, which is how Eli looks most of the time. And Justin Tuck looked up and he said, look at Eli. That's the exact same way he'd look if we lost this game. And his whole point was, and the thing I've always felt was great and a great trait of Eli Manning is that he didn't allow football to defeat him or to send him to the top of Mount Olympus. He was going to go into a game, play as hard as he could, prepare as hard as he could, do everything to help his team, all of that. If he lost the game, he's going home to be with his family, and he was going to be a good dad and a good husband. And that's just the way he was. That's a great story, and that defines him. It's the MMQB Podcast. Do you know that 66% of men lose their hair by the time they're 35? 
The problem is, by the time you notice you're losing your hair, it's too late. Of course, you know that it's easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. Have you been checking yourself out in the mirror? Is that hairline slowly starting to move backward? Any bald spots yet? Look, let's be honest. Let me ask you, do you want your hairline to recede, or do you want to do something about it first? Why do guys always turn to weird solutions, or do absolutely nothing when they can turn to medicine and science? Well, now there is forhims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. Hims can provide well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. No snake oils or crazy solutions. More importantly, no waiting rooms, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to forhims.com. It's so easy. Answer a few quick questions, and their doctors will review and prescribe you products, which are then shipped directly to your door. So, order now. My listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. Forhymns.com Now, this would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So, Go to forhims.com slash MMQB. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash MMQB. Forhims.com slash MMQB. It's a good place to get help. Now back for more with Ernie Accorsi. Now, let's fast forward to today. What, I asked Accorsi, would be his advice to the young GMs who will be picking a quarterback or who might be in this draft. What's your advice, Tom? My advice is, is that don't grade by the curve. If, if you feel, I may not get up this high again, this is a great quarterback draft, I better take advantage of it. I have some questions about all four, but this is my one shot, I better take it. Don't do it. Uh, and and I, the reason I say that is if you don't have a – look, if you're the best student in class and you're really a, a B student, you might get an A by the curve, but you're not an A student. You better be an A player because if, if you pick that high and blow that pick, you're set back five to ten years. And I know 10 years sounds like an exaggeration. Look, you're going to play him for three if he's not playing well, just thinking he's not ready to play. And there aren't very many Marinos. There aren't very many guys who can step right in and play right away. And he walked into a pretty good team. Uh, but so that's three or four years wasted. And now you're not gonna you're gonna have to play him because you're not not gonna be in a position to to get one in the year that there aren't great ones. So if you have a complete look, we had complete convictions on the top two guys, Eli and Ben. If you feel that way, you better pick them when you're up there because I would say that since the T became global 1950 after the Steelers switched from the single wing that the quarterbacks who won world championships in all these 67 years 
93, 94% of them are either Hall of Famers or they're people like Phil Simms who are at the doorstep. And there are some who, who were not great quarterbacks. I don't like the odds. So that's a little bit of my living history of two very significant quarterback drafts. So will this year's draft be as historically significant as 1983 or 2004? It sets up to be. And who knows how the course of football history will be changed by what happens next week. Thanks to my special guest, Ernie Accorsi. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Pat Shermer, Tom Brady, and Chris Mortensen. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Quicken Loans, Hymns, and Buffalo Wild Wings. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week with a special draft preview show.